Welcome to Petrifaction. We're all about horror stories. If you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you are in the right place. prepared to be petrified. Today's show is about The Conjuring 2. If you have not already seen the movie, I'm going to tell you, unless you're into spoilers, there will be lots of them here. You may want to shut the podcast off, go and watch the movie, and come back after you've seen it. If you don't care about spoilers, then sit back and relax, because we're going to have a good show and some scary, scary things happening, folks. Be prepared to be petrified. Now, The Conjuring 2 opens with Ed and Lorraine Warren investigating the Amityville Horror case in Long Island, New York. They're closing up the case and ready to move on. And at some point, Lorraine tells Ed this is as close to hell as she ever wants to get. And unfortunately, it's at that point that a representative from the church approaches them and asks them to please investigate another case. Another case in Europe that seems to be on a similar fashion as this one. Conjuring 2 is about that case and what happens. Now before I get into that case with you here, I'm going to let you know who Ed and Lorraine Warren are for those of you out there who may not know. Ed was born Edward Warren Miney. He was born September 7th, 1926. He was an American paranormal investigator, an author, and he was involved in prominent cases of alleged hauntings, including the Amityville Horror case. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, an author, and lecturer. 
Lorraine professed to be clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. Lorraine was born Lorraine Rita Moran on January 31st, 1927. And they were married in 1945 during World War II when Ed was on leave. And in 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic, Reser for Psychic Research, NESPR. It's the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. Then they authored many books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. And they've claimed to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. Their estimated net worth upon Lorraine's death in 2019 was anywhere from $1 million up to $5 million. They made most of their money through lecturing, painting, writing novels about their paranormal investigations, and income brought in from their occult museum. They also probably received income from the Conjuring universe, which is loosely based on several of their cases. The Warren the Warrens never did charge for the help for the services that they provided. And that's a fact. You can look in Snopes. They didn't charge the people to come in and help them, but they did make their money in other ways. And they were by no means poor. They had a pretty nice income. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just a little bit about who Ed and Lorraine are, and we're going to get into the story. And as already stated, Conjuring 2 opens with the Warrens investigating the Amityville horror case. A member of the church, a member in high standing of the church, approaches them and asks for their help. They need someone to go to Europe, to London, to investigate a haunting going on where children are involved and they need help. Lorraine has had some visions and she has referred to the case, the Amityville Horror case, as close as close to hell as she ever wants to get. And she asks Ed before they're approached by this religious official to take a break. And she asks Ed to take the break because she's had visions of Ed's death. But they can't say no. Somebody needs help. A family's involved with kids. And that's what The Conjuring 2 is about. It's about this case that they end up going and helping in Europe. They go to the Hodgkin, Hodge, Hodgson's family, which consists of the mother, Peggy, the children, Margaret, Janet, and Billy. And it's located in Enfield, 
which is in the northern part of London. As the conjuring goes on, it shows Margaret and Janet playing with a Ouija board. Janet and a friend had made it at school, and Janet had brought it home, and she tells Margaret, oh, it's fun. So they decide to try it, and they ask it some questions, and they don't get any response, so they just put it away. And they put it away by Janet shoving it under her bed. So as the movie goes on a little bit, the activity starts. And it starts in the Hodgkins in the Hodgson's home with some banging noises on the bedroom door. And Janet's having bad dreams. And a male voice is spoken through her and says, This is my house. Janet hears the banging on the doors and she has continuous bad nightmares. And then she starts sleepwalking, something that Janet had never done ever in her life. And in the sleepwalking, she's hearing a man and she's talking to a man and a man is talking through her. The man talks through her and it terrifies her. And it's kind of at this point, she's not sleeping and she's really scared all the time and there's banging going around and the bed starts shaking. And more than just Janet hears it, Margaret also hears it and John, um, Johnny, I'm sorry, there's another kid, Johnny. Johnny also hears it. But mom doesn't believe them. Mom thinks they're just kids, you know. She's worried about Janet having the bad dreams and sleepwalking because this is unusual but she doesn't believe in dead men walking or she doesn't believe in ghosts and the kids are just doing what kids do and making things up that's what she really does think Janet hears banging on doors Janet's having bad nightmares Janet is sleepwalking she wakes up in the same living room chair night after night a man starts talking through her, terrifies her. Then things begin to move around in the house all by themselves. A TV remote moves. A TV shuts itself off. There are mystery growls heard. There's pounding in the walls. And then the apparition appears. It's an apparition of an old man. He's an angry old man. And he's saying, This is my house. In the meantime, Ed Warren is at home. They just finished up the Amityville horror case. He's painting because actually Ed was an artist and he went to school for a while to be a painter to be an artist and that's kind of his outlet as he's doing these investigations and Ed's painting of this dream he keeps having this reoccurring dream and as he turns the painting around it's of this terrifying nun that he dreams about and it's really a demon of course the demon is in a nun's form 
Lorraine sees the picture and puts her off, man. Scary stuff. It is creepy. When you see the frame of this nun, it's like, oh my God, it's so terrifying. And Lorraine knows it's a demon that he's painted. And she insists that they have to stop doing their investigations. They just have to stop. It's taking a toll on them. It's taking a toll on her. And they just have to stop. At the same time, back at the Enfield house, Janet is experiencing things in her bedroom. Her bed is shaking violently. She's getting getting violently thrown from her bed. She's levitating. Janet is bitten. There's furniture furniture is being thrown around. And it, I mean, not just moved at this point. It's being thrown around. One night it gets so bad that Peggy actually becomes a believer. She's tired. She's so tired because these kids are just, you know, the nightmares and the banging and everything. And she hasn't heard the banging at this point. She hasn't heard the noises, but she is about to tonight. And she notices a very heavy chest in the kid's bedroom move 18 inches on its own. And when she tries to move it back, because it's partially blocking a doorway, when she tries to move it back for them to get out of the room, she can't even budge it. She gets the kids out of there because she witnesses this chest, this heavy wooden chest moving. And now she's finally a believer because she's seen it herself. And she ushers the kids out of the house and over to the neighbors. And that's when her neighbors... Vic and Peg Nottingham get involved. And Vic agrees to go over and check out the house. Peg says, Peggy says that, you know, like there's somebody in there because she could hear there's somebody in there, like the knocking and something moved. And she's sure somebody's in that house. So Vic walks over and he checks it out and he checks every room, the bedroom, everywhere. And he comes back and he says, no, Peggy, there's nobody in the house. The house is empty. And he suggests to her that they should call the police. And um, she goes ahead and Peggy Peggy does call in the police then. I, I think actually in the movie, um, Vic, Vic does call in the police. The Nottinghams make the call and the police arrive. And this is at the point where police officers become involved. And they go in. And for whatever reason, when Vic had been there alone, nothing happened. But they all went back in the house with the police. And the moving furniture starts again. And the cops are actually a witness to these things happening. To the knocks, to the voices, and to the furniture moving. At one point, a very heavy chair, a living room chair, moves sideways across the floor and flips backwards right in front of Officer Heap. Officer Heap is a female officer, and it, like, startles her, and she checks out the chair. The chair's really heavy, for one. You can't just move it, but she, and it flips over, so... She's not sure how this happened. And she checked for wires and tried to figure out. They tried to figure out what 
could have been done to make this chair do that like for it to be fraud for it to be a you know a, a prank and they couldn't find anything to explain how this chair moved like it did and then flipped over on its own but there weren't any prowlers and the paranormal is out of the police's range so they couldn't help all they could do was take a report and this will come out later in news reports and stuff that, I mean, there was a legitimate report made by an officer heap about the experiences she had visiting in this Enfield house. In the meantime, the Warrens are asked to go to London for three days. It's decided it would just be for three days on behalf of the church to investigate. They wanted to get proof of what was happening. And this is when it's referred to as England's Amityville. The Conjuring 2 is a horror story, but it's also a love story. And it's one of the cool things I like about The Conjuring 2 because it's a story within a story. And of course, I'd already mentioned that Lorraine wants to stop. She asks Ed for them to stop. They need to get out of doing this because, not because it's scary, although it is, and they're terrified a lot of times, but just because she's very afraid that he's going to be taken from her. And she's had premonitions that this demon is going to take Ed. And of course, she loves him. She doesn't want that to happen. And... In the midst of this movie are little things here and there about them. They have to help this couple in London. I mean this family in London. So the couple does fly over and, and against her better judgment Lorraine agrees to do it. And Ed tells her that if something happens, if he's going to die, then it's God's plan. God has a plan. And maybe she could help him. Maybe she could do something to help him to change it. And throughout the story, it's kind of about them. It's about them and their love for each other and how Lorraine will do whatever she can to try to keep Ed safe. At one point, Ed is playing a guitar and singing Elvis. It's not bad, by the way. And it's wise men say only fools rush in. I can't help falling in love with you. And it's very sweet because the actors are just really good. And they have like direct eye contact. Even though there's a room full of people, it's like they're talking to each other through the song. And you can see that it's mutual. And yeah, I guess, I guess I'm a girl. <laughs> I like love stories. And definitely the undercurrent of Conjuring 2 is a love story. And it's their love for one another that kind of saves them in the end. It's Elaine's love for him and she won't give up and he won't give up. They don't give up. And they both go in and do what needs to be done to get rid of this demon. But in the end, it's because they did it together and it's because of their love. And it's really cool. I just really like this movie. Again, I'm going to encourage you to go and to watch it if you haven't. If you have, it's a very good pre-Halloween movie. Get you in the move for the Halloween antics. Just saying. 
Now, of course, you must realize by now that this whole case of Conjuring 2 is based on the Enfield Poltergeist case. And just from other things that I've seen regarding the Enfield Poltergeist, just going to get into it of the history of Enfield versus the Hollywood version, which is The Conjuring 2. So this comes from an interview with Janet Hodgson, and it's an interview regarding the Enfield Poltergeist. So the haunting took place at 284 Green Street in Enfield, North London. It began on August 31st, 1977. And the people involved were Margaret, she was 12 years old at the time, Janet, who was 11, Johnny, and Billy. And I believe somewhere that I had read, Johnny was away at a school. He was having some kind of issues, and it was almost like he was sent away to a, a military school so he could stay out of trouble. And I'm not saying that's exactly what it was, but from what I had read he was not in the house during this time. So it was actually a five-year-old Billy that was there, Janet, who was 11, and then in another couple uh, references. It, it's the, the age of Margaret is kind of like if I've heard she was 12 to 14. So take your pick. And in this particular one that I'm going to reference in my notes, in the show notes, Margaret was only 12 when this began and August of 1977. And in this account given by a grown-up, Janet, um, she refers to the chest of drawers that moved. And this is how it began on August 31st. This is how the whole thing began. They were in bed. The beds were shaking. And the kids were screaming. And mom has had it. Mom is Peggy. Peggy comes in and she's just had it with these kids. She needs to finally get some sleep because she hasn't been getting sleep. Every night it's something new. These kids are just being awful. It's like screaming and crying. Everybody's up. Nobody's sleeping. It's exhausting. And she doesn't believe in ghosts of any kind. She thinks they're making this up. And at one point she has searched the rooms and she comes across this handmade Ouija board that the girls had been using. And it pisses her off. She's like, this is why I'm up at night. You guys are using this thing. It's terrifying you. You believe you're in chart, you know, you're in touch with some ghosts or something. And this is why I can't sleep at night. And she was really pissed off and she got rid of the thing. I think in the movie, same thing. She found it and she tore it up. And she got rid of it. So back to the chest of drawers that was in the girl's bedroom. And it moved. When Peggy was in there, she'd come in and she couldn't settle the kids down. And this heavy chest of drawers moved from against the wall to partway across the doorway opening. And when it moved, Peggy was unable to move it back. So there was no way at all the kids could touch this thing. First of all, they were in the beds. Um... Margaret was in her bed, Janet was in her bed, and I believe young Billy also shared a bed in that same bedroom. Not the same bed, but they were all they were all in that one bedroom. And the kids were all in bed, so 
who moved it. There was nobody else in there. And dang, if that thing wasn't heavy because Peggy herself wasn't able to move that dresser out of the way. And it terrified her when this happened. It was almost like a switch went off. And she was now a believer all of a sudden. Terrified. She got the, she's like, she had the kids, come on kids, let's go, 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 go. And they all squeezed past this dresser that was partially blocking the doorway. They ran out of the house and they went over to the Nottingham's. And it was Peggy herself in real life. In the movie, it was the Nottingham's who called the police on behalf of Peggy. But in real life, they did go over to the Nottingham's. The Nottingham's in real life weren't across the street. They were the, they were like a townhouse. They were in the residence right next door. They were like between walls. So they ran over to the Nottingham's. And that's where they were going to stay. That's where they were at. And uh, they convinced Vic did go over, checked out the house and found nothing. And he did suggest, just to be safe, that they should get the police involved and have them check it out to make sure nobody was in the house. Which is what Peggy did. She's the one that actually meant, made the call and the police came. And it was a female officer named Heap that witnessed an armchair move then. After they had gotten in there, when they'd gotten into the house, they did report that they had indeed heard the knocking. The knocking was coming from inside the walls. and They couldn't figure out. It would go from one wall to the next, to the next, to the next, and all around the house. And they couldn't explain what was doing it. They had no idea. And they tried to check vents, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And at that point is when this heavy chair moved um, meters across the floor it moved on towards the officer like a pro this chair came at her and then it flipped over backwards and levitated this is all the report from the officer by the way and I'm not sure why that part of it wasn't in the movie I don't remember the chair levitating I don't remember. I mean, they just moved the chair. And in the movie, it was just a light. It was just like a kitchen chair, like you'd sit at your dining room table. And in fact, according to the report by Officer Heap, this was an armchair from the living room, and it was a heavy armchair. And Janet had been sitting in this chair. I think she had just gotten off of it when it actually moved. It was like it moved very fast towards Officer Heap. It flipped over backwards. And it levitated. And yeah, that's pretty scary. I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. That's kind of scary. The officers checked out everywhere regarding this chair and the living room and the dining room and the kitchen area and, and just the uh, house itself trying to figure out how the heck this happened. They couldn't find anything. They could find no strings. There were no mirrors. There was no logical reason for this chair to behave the way that it did. And it was really terrifying. Now the police left because, as in the movie, there was really nothing that they could do to help the people. You know, their business is taking care of prowlers and getting them out the door. And poltergeists are a whole different thing. They can't help you with that. And suggested maybe calling in a priest to help out with that and bless the house. 
So in addition to furniture moving and turning over by itself and levitating, some of the other things that happened in the Enfield Poltergeist case were uh, voices from nowhere. There were also voices that came from Janet that could not possibly have belonged to an 11-year-old girl. Now, in the movie, the Warrens had her take a drink of water and then the voice came out. But in the movie, Janet takes the water and holds it in her mouth to show that this isn't a trick. This isn't ventriloquism. That this voice is actually speaking through her. And in the movie, she has to spit out the water and says to them that they can't look at her. She, the voice won't come if they're looking. Well, I mean, my God, that's, that's suspicious right there because you're trying to prove a point. So that makes no sense to me, but that's what they did in the movie. However, in real life, it was not Ed and Lorraine Warren who decided that Janet should do that. It was Guy Playfair. It was his idea to do that. He had her take a mouthful of water, then taped her mouth on, on top of it. And still, Janet spoke. It was a deep, gravelly male voice, very terrifying. And he said his name was Bill Wilkins. And he said he was the owner of that house. It was That's where that This Is My House came from. And he had died in that chair, that chair that had moved and flipped. And other things that happened in the Enfield Poltergeist, besides the levitation of furniture, Janet herself levitated, like a lot. There was one lady who was interviewed and this was also in the movie and this part of it was also true in the movie there was an actual um, bus guard and I forget what they call them in England a lollipop lady or something like that it's a, it's a, a name we don't use here in the states so this lady was a crossing guard or a lollipop lady and she could see the house from where she stood on the street as the crossing guard. And she literally saw Janet floating through that window. She could see from the street into the window and saw Janet floating. And it terrified her. It freaked her out. And she did make a report. She did legitimately make a report that she saw this happen. So Janet did levitate. In the movie, oh God, it was so terrifying. At one point, they're looking for Janet, and they can't find her. She's freaking stuck to the ceiling, like in the corner of the room on to the top of the ceiling. It is so creepy. It gives me chills right now just thinking about that scene in particular. So I'm not sure that Janet actually stuck to the ceiling, but she was reported to actually levitate. There were voices in the houses knocking on the walls. And at one point, a curtain wrapped around Janet's neck and it tried to hang her. So at the very end of The Conjuring 2, 
when they're holding on to the curtain out the window so that Ed isn't impaled by a dead piece of wood outside the window. In actuality, in the real case, it's claimed that the curtain on one, one of the more violent days when Janet was being thrown around, the curtain wrapped itself around her neck and tried to hang her. And it was, I believe, Guy Playfair who rushed in and helped her and got that curtain off of her so she could, so she could actually breathe again. And for reasons like this, for the curtain trying to hang her, for the levitation, uh, the creepy voice that came through with your, you know, with your mouth full of water and taped shut and you're still talking in a creepy man voice, that's pretty, that's pretty terrifying. There were also fires in the house, unknown origin, and that is claimed a lot in a lot of hauntings and a lot of demonic activity. For whatever reasons, they're also pyromaniacs. So, hmm, there you go. And there were, although in Conjuring 2, they don't show any fires or mention it. There were fires that came out of nowhere at the Enfield house. And of course, it was malevolent. And, you know, something that does these things and hurts children, and throws them around and tries to hang them and lights fires. It was malevolent. And really the last thing now that we're going to go over is uh, Hollywood versus um, Hollywood versus what happened, like um, the investigations of what they say happened in Enfield. And one of the biggest issues is with who investigated the Enfield poltergeist. Were Ed and Lorraine even there at all? And what I come up with, because I did research this and wanted to know, the investigators for the Enfield Poltergeist, which Conjuring 2 is based upon, those investigators were Guy Lyon Playfair and Maurice Gross. They were members of the Society for Psychical Research. And... They're both passed away now. Uh, Mr. Gross, I think, passed away in 2006. Guy Playfair passed away in 2018. Before he passed away, he had an interview with Dave Schrader on Darkness Radio. It was a very surprising things that he said. He said about the Warrens that they were not invited. And, in fact, they were there. They did show up. They showed up uninvited. They were there for a day and left one day. Also, Mr. Playfair said in the interview with Dave Schrader that Ed told me I could make a lot of money, meaning he was going to show him how to make money. It seemed that his only interest was in what he could make off of the story. And quote from Mr. Playfair, they just wanted to make money out of this. And that is a direct quote from Guy Playfair to Dave Schrader. Mr. Playfair and Mr. Gross do admit, too, that it wasn't all on the up and up. Uh, they do admit that Janet was caught 
faking some things. And I know for, you know, like one of the things they caught her doing was bending spoons. And there were other things I just can't remember in the movie. They caught her faking, like she destroyed an entire kitchen. She threw things and they caught her on tape doing that. And it was like the reason she had to do it was she had to get rid of the investigators because the demon was going to kill her family if she didn't. Now that never happened. That was all made up. That was all part of Hollywood. But it's what helped make The Conjuring 2 so freaking good. I mean, I like the direction they went with that. But in real life, the girls were thought to have created a lot of this and made a lot of this up. Some of it was legit, like the thing that happened with Officer Heap. But a lot of it, too, was fake. And unfortunately, I think that when, when the girls faked one thing and it kind of it's like throwing the baby out with the bath water but it hang it it just brings a dark cloud over the whole thing because you can't prove this you know and one thing fake makes you kind of believe that hey well if they faked this what else did they do and how legit is it and even with all the um so-called evidence that they have it's not convincing at least you know I'm not convinced by it. Maybe you would be. But I've seen pictures of um, Janet supposedly being levitated. And it looks like a kid jumping out of bed. So it's not up to me to decide. I guess from the reports and everything, some things actually did happen in Enfield. It was legitimate in some ways. But in other ways, the girls egged it on. And in the real things that happened, Ed and Lorraine were much less a part of Enfield than they claimed to be. And that doesn't take away from Conjuring 2. It's still an excellent story. Get out there and see it. Enjoy it for Halloween. Good show. Good movie. And that's all I've got for you tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. Friends, this is Petey. I have something special for you. Have you noticed I haven't done a lot of hauntings and ghost stories? Oh, that's not by accident, friends. Halloween is just around the corner. October is my favorite month of the year. I love Halloween. That's kind of why I love doing this podcast, because with Petrifaction, we can have Halloween stories all year long. I love it. But for Halloween, I wanted to do something special in October. And I decided that October for Petrifaction is going to be stories about ghosts and hauntings to get in the mood for Halloween. I hope you like that idea too. So come back next time. We're going to have another show featuring a ghost story or a haunted hotel or haunted mansion or whatever. It's going to be about ghosts and hauntings. That's all, friends. Be petrified. That's all for today's podcast. 
I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories. And friends, be prepared to be petrified.